If you had to describe a typical plan of life for most people in our culture today, what would you include? Maybe something like this. First, we get born. Then we grow and learn some of the basics of life from those who care for us. Then we grow and go to school, elementary, junior high. And as we travel through senior high school, we begin to think about what's next. Some go directly into the workforce after senior high. More or some get further training and schooling in hopes of finding a career. They hope this will translate into something that will last long and provide. Then we graduate, we start working. Some find a life mate during this time frame. Maybe they have kids, they raise their kids, then they earn money to provide and hopefully enjoy life. Then we retire, we enjoy retirement, and then we live to a ripe old age and die peacefully in our sleep. So that's the basic plan, isn't it? Get born, grow up, get a job, maybe get married, maybe have children, earn money, enjoy life in retirement, die peacefully. Except, life doesn't always go according to plan. In fact, the older I get, I would say life often doesn't go according to plan. Maybe we arrive at a certain age and we thought, you know, I'd be married by this age, and we're not. Or our marriage did not turn out like we hoped. Maybe we experienced some great betrayal in marriage, or we ourselves made some major blunders and now we struggle, or maybe we got divorced, or some long-term illness comes into our life or into our family, and that disturbs the plan, or someone dies. Or we go through job change, or job loss, or business loss, or someone's faith changes, or we experience significant challenges with a child, or a pandemic comes along, or a fire, or a flood, or there's an economic or technological change that makes our job redundant, and we discover much beyond our control that can disturb our plans. Yet we expect our plans to work out, don't we? We planned them. We took all the right steps and looked after all the details. And when things don't go according to plan, we get upset, angry, resentful, bitter, depressed. And is this just the way life is? Is it rare for someone's plans to work out? Was Frank Sinatra the only one who really could say, I did it my way and succeeded? Or might we be missing something? Might there be a problem with the way we plan and the way that we look at life? Is there a different way to plan life that is healthier and allows for unexpected interruptions? And the next section in James addresses people who make plans for their lives. And we're going to see James expose some problems with their planning. And he'll also show another way to plan and to look at life, which allows for the unexpected detours that life brings. 
And I have been praying that God will speak to you today whether your life is going according to plan or not, whether things are smooth or choppy right now. And I pray that you will see God's heart and love and help for you today. So I invite you to take your Bibles or on your devices, find James chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. It's page 857 in the Bibles that we have for you near the bottom of the left-hand column, just four verses. And James writes this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So James is addressing some people who seem to have some means, some wealth, and they plan to do business and make a profit. Anything wrong with that? No. But there's something in what they say that leads to James' criticism. Notice they make four confident declarations in verse 13. First, they declare where they will go. Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town. So they assume they will successfully travel to such and such a town. Second, they declare how much time they'll spend there. Today or tomorrow, we will go into such a, such a town and spend a year there. So they assume that they know how long they will reside in this particular place. Third, they declare what they will do there. We will spend a year there and trade. So they assume that they will set up some sort of business that will involve the trading of goods. And fourth, they declare the result of the effort. We will trade and make a profit. So they're confident that this will work and result in profit. And if we were to look at this, we may conclude, wow, that's a great business plan. It identifies location, time frame, activity, and expected result. This could have been taught as a model of business plans in the first century. Yet James criticizes this. Is there anything wrong with planning in business? No. Is there anything wrong with planning for profit? Not necessarily. So what's wrong with this plan? Why does James criticize it? Well, reason number one, it fails to consider critical realities about life. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what will come tomorrow, let alone a year from now. So tomorrow you say you're going to so-and-so town and spend a year there, but tomorrow you're going to be in a car accident that will take a year to recover from. Or tomorrow that town will be struck with a plague and no one will be allowed to go in there. Or tomorrow someone in your family will be struck with a long-term illness that will require your constant care. 
And this plan ignores the reality that we don't know what tomorrow will bring. And there's another reality this plan ignores in the second half of verse 14. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So this plan fails to, in its perspective about life. We are like a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Or we are like on a cold winter day when you breathe out and you can see your breath for a second or two as the warm air from inside hits the cold air outside and then it's gone. And that's a perspective, the perspective on the reality of the length of our lives compared to all of history. So James is not saying our lives are worthless or unimportant to God, but he's pointing out that these planners talk as if they're in complete control of their lives and their significance. They will do something great, something profitable, and it seems like they think nothing can stop them. And it's great to dream and think about what could be. But a realistic perspective recognizes that our lives are a mist compared to the universe and all of history. And if we forget this, we might spend our lives on that which doesn't really matter that much. So someone in their 20s might say to themselves, I've got lots of time left. And one day I'll get around to adulting, being an adult. But right now I'm going to play video games and spend all the money I make at my job on toys. I'm five years of that maybe, and then I'll get serious. Or maybe we're in our 30s and we're trying to build something and we, really, we conclude, you know, I, I, I've got to work 80 to 100 hours a week to make this thing work. So there's not going to be much time for marriage or for the kids, but that's the price you have to pay for success. Or maybe we're in our 40s and we're taking serious steps forward in our career and we know that we said, you know, in our 40s, my 40s, I'll really have more time for everyone, but uh, if we can just hang on for five more years of this, then, then I will really have time. Or, or maybe we're in our 50s and we have, we have kids and we have parents who are aging and we have our job. We, we don't have time for our parents who are aging, but in a few years, we'll have time to spend with them. Or maybe we're in, a, we're in our 60s and we're giving all we can, we can to our last years of work and then we're going to retire and really enjoy life and connect with people. Or at any one of these stages, we might say, I, I know I should spend more time with God in my life, but I'm just really busy right now and it's, and it's taking up a lot of my time. When things settle down, I will get back to God. Except the 20-year-old who spends five years playing video games discovers that employers aren't interested in a 25-year-old teenager. They want maturing young adults who can take on responsibility. Or the 30-year-old who gives 80% of his or her waking hours to their career discovers they've missed several key milestones in their kids' lives that they can never recover or go back to. 
And the 40-year-old who said, only five more years of this pace is blindsided by legal papers served to him by his wife that they're separating. Or the 50-year-old who didn't have time for their parents gets a phone call one day that one of them died suddenly. Or the 60-year-old who looks forward to retirement and, and really then is going to connect with everyone dies three months before retirement. Or the person who said one day they'll get back to God wakes up one day and realizes, I don't believe in God anymore. The short mist of life is spent on the less important. They failed to take into account the critical realities about life that we don't know what tomorrow will bring and our lives are like a mist. And then there's another reason why James criticizes such planning. Reason number two, it reveals an arrogant presumption that we have complete control over our lives. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Well, that escalated quickly. James ramps up the criticism from you don't have the right perspective to you're doing evil. Like seriously, James, isn't that a bit much? They're just trying to make a living. Well, not in verse 16. They boast in their arrogance. They presume they can do whatever they want with their lives. Nothing and no one will stop them, including God. They boast about their self-sufficiency. They boast about their autonomy or freedom from anyone or thing limiting their plans or choices. This is what the Apostle John calls the pride of life in 1 John 2, 15 to 17. I'll just read 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So if we say, I'm going to do this and accomplish that without considering God, we're boasting. And such boasting is evil, for it refuses to recognize God as Lord over the world and over our lives. And it installs us as supreme Lord. And in my own life, God has been very patient with me on this one. I used to be so proud of my self-sufficiency when I was younger. When I moved out of my parents' house, that was the ultimate. I was so self-sufficient. I moved downtown in a, to an apartment in Calgary with some friends. I paid the rent. I was paying for my school to go to university. I was going to graduate, make all this money, and live a comfortable life. I was out from my parents' eyes and authority. I was self-sufficient. Although I conveniently forgot that my parents lent me their car so I could drive to and from university. Or that I still went home at least weekly for a meal and sometimes brought my laundry. 
or how if there was the slightest problem with the car, I immediately called my dad for help. And I also conveniently forgot about God's provision to allow me to be born in a country where I could get an education and where the country was not at war, so I'd have to go off to war. So self-sufficient. And as life went on, I had more opportunities to reflect on my lack of self-sufficiency. I began to realize more vulnerabilities. I also realized dumb choices I made. One of these being a spring break trip where myself and a few friends drove down to California without stopping overnight. This involved us taking turns to drive the 30 hours straight, no stopping, which included driving through the Rockies in Idaho at night during a winter storm. Very wise. And little did I realize at that time how much God protected us and helped us. And then when our children were born, I sensed that vulnerability for mother and child through the birthing process and realized, I have zero control here. It's all up to God and these medical professionals that he's provided to bring this child and my wife through this. And the pandemic exposed our illusion of control and self-sufficiency. We lost our control over the ability to gather, go to work, go to school, visit, shop, travel. And even as restrictions loosened, we experienced the impact of supply chain issues. We continue to experience that today. There's great unpredictability in air travel. We used to think that we could go anywhere we wanted, whenever we wanted, with whatever service we wanted. Much of that is gone. And James criticizes these confident planners who ignore all this for planning our lives without considering God proudly defies reality. Planning our lives without considering God proudly defies reality. And we can live like that for a while, sometimes for years, but reality eventually catches up with us. And things don't go according to plan, or we discover we're not Lord over everything. So what's the alternative? Verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So we need to acknowledge the will of the Lord as supreme over all our plans. And don't miss the first part of this saying, which is critical, if the Lord wills, we will live. That's kind of important if we hope to see our plans through. You can't carry out your plans if you're not living. And it's ultimately up to God how many days we get to live. So if we get another day to live tomorrow, we can thank God for another day of life. And when we keep that perspective, it can help us with the minor irritations of life, waiting in line, 
stuck in traffic and we can grumble and complain or say thank you God that you've given me another day to live. And then we plan in submission to the Lord's will. We plan while admitting we don't know the outcome. We plan and pray and ask for the Lord's direction and will. And when things don't go as planned, we turn and trust the Lord rather than getting upset about a change in plans. One commentator summarizes it like this. The question is, how does one approach life in light of not knowing the outcome? And the incorrect or foolish way is to assume all will transpire as planned. What a, but the more sensible attitude, because it alone is safe, is to assume whatever happens is under the control of God. So to face the future, it is more important for us to trust in God than to trust in our plans. Yet, we can still slide into this self-sufficiency mindset. We can still put too much confidence in our, our plans, too much pride in our resources and our abilities. We can still live as if we are in ultimate control over all of our lives. So how do we submit our plans to the Lord's will? First step, repent of any arrogance and boasting about our lives. We may need to confess, we put more faith in our planning than in God's will. And it's not wrong to plan and to walk down a path, but it's a problem when we proudly declare, we will do this, we will accomplish this on our own. And perfectionists or control freaks, we need to confess that when we try to control everything or most things, we're acting like God. And instead we recognize there is much we can't control, yet we can entrust it to the Lord. And for some of us, this Repentance involves coming to Christ for the very first time in our lives. Maybe God has revealed to you today that you have planned your entire life as if he doesn't exist. With no consideration of his will. You've gone about life believing that you have absolute and supreme authority over your life. And if you believe that, I don't blame you in a way, for that's the message we're fed by our culture all the time. Be whatever you want to be, be whoever you want to be, do whatever you want to do, you have the power within you. That's what we're fed. And we certainly need to encourage people to pursue the paths that God has prepared and to use the gifts that God has given, but we don't know what tomorrow will bring our lives can be turned upside down in an instant. And instead of continuing to live in the unreality that we are in complete control of our lives, we need to recognize God is ultimately sovereign. God is the giver of life and ultimately the taker of life. And we need to humbly recognize this. 
We need to repent or turn away from living as if God doesn't exist or as if he's not Lord. And Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly even though we don't know what tomorrow will bring. But our own pride and arrogance separates us from God. And there was no way that we could be reconciled with God by our own efforts. So Jesus offered himself up as a substitute on our behalf. He paid for our pride and arrogance with his own blood. And God the Father accepted Jesus' sacrifice for us. So we need to receive God's offer of reconciled relationship and abundant life. And if you have never received Christ as your Savior and Lord, there's a little prayer on the back of the bulletin or program that you can pray. And it says simply this, Lord God, I recognize you as Lord and creator of the universe, including me. I confess I have lived proudly as if you don't exist, and I repent of my pride and arrogance. I receive Jesus Christ into my life as Savior and Lord. So to submit to the Lord's will, we must first repent of any arrogance or pride in our life plans. Second, we need to learn the prayer of relinquishment. The prayer of relinquishment for unexpected changes to our plans. And some of you here today or watching online are in the middle of an unexpected change in your life. Or you may be realizing some of the plans that you made are not working out. And you're struggling. You might be going through the grieving of a loss of a loved one or a job change or a family breakup or some unexpected long-term care situation that has come into your life and there is no quick fix or three easy steps to adjust to changes like that but there is the prayer of relinquishment and to relinquish means to voluntarily give up or give over and the ultimate example for this is Christ himself in the garden of Gethsemane where he said father if it is possible take this cup from me yet not my will, but yours be done. And if you're in one of those situations right now, I want to encourage you to spend some time in the Gospels and meditate on Jesus in Gethsemane and see him struggle and see him sweat, yet see him receive the strength to get up and go to the cross. And if you want to look more deeply into that, we talked about this on March 26th, where we looked at Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane and the prayer of relinquishment. So we first repent of arrogance or boasting. Second, we learn the prayer of relinquishment. And third, we trust in Christ to teach us how do we live under God's guidance and will. For God is willing to give us guidance. Psalm 73, 24 says, you guide me with your counsel. Jesus said in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So we engage in prayerful planning. We seek the Lord's wisdom as we make choices about schooling or courses. 
We seek the Lord's counsel about housing decisions and jobs and careers and parenting and financial planning and schooling for our kids. We seek the Lord when considering someone to date or for marriage. We submit our business and organizational plans to the Lord. We prayerfully plan for our retirement to glorify God. And then when things don't go according to plan, we pray the prayer of relinquishment. We learn to rest in the Lord who is sovereign over all things. Because often, life doesn't go as planned. And so to apply this today, I'm going to invite you to participate in two prayers. One of them is one that many of us know called the Lord's Prayer. And there's something in there about God's will. You remember that line? Your will be done. So we're going to pray that after we pray this other little prayer that goes like this. I thank you, Jesus, that you died so I don't have to blank. You fill in the blank. Maybe something that you stress about when things don't go as planned. I thank you, Jesus, that you died so I don't have to control everything, know everything, plan everything to the last-minute detail, look after everyone, take care of everything, be responsible for everything, be perfect. Jesus' life and death releases us from that performance-based, self-sufficient religion that we can slip into. So, we're going to come to God in prayer, and I want to give you a few moments to think about how you're going to fill in the blank to the prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that you died so that I don't have to, whatever it is. And then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer, and we'll follow the version that's on the back of your bulletin, if you want to look at it there. But let's come to the Lord now and think about something that you want to thank Jesus for, that he died so that you don't have to do or be what? Lord Jesus, you've been teaching me so much about this lately, that you're the Messiah. I can't be. I don't have to be. But you are. Thank you for dying so that we don't have to do all these things or be this kind of person that we think we have to be hold it, to hold everything together. I pray for people here today, Lord, that are going through a very upsetting time of turmoil in their lives. Something major is going on. Something unexpected has happened. Will you walk with them step by step and enable them 
through the days, through the hours, to be able to prayer, pray the prayer of relinquishment and to receive strength from you to accept what's happening. And we come to you with the Lord's Prayer and sometimes we can just skip over the words and pray it with almost outthinking Lord. But today we want to slow down and we want to listen and pray the words that you taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close our service this morning?